Welcome to the Harrisburg Brethren in Christ Church podcast. My name is Ryan Cagno. The HBIC podcast brings you weekly episodes on the topic of discipleship, where we'll sit down with members of the HBIC family to hear their stories, hear about the different ways people at HBIC are pursuing discipleship. In other words, how they're learning to follow Jesus' example and obey his teachings in their daily lives in practical ways. This week I sat down with Eli Whitehead Zimmers to talk about physics. Uh, but don't be scared. I don't know anything about physics either. Uh, but we do talk about Eli's love for science, how we see science and faith interacting, complementing one another, um, the limits of science and reason, what it means to really know something and to really know God. Yeah, it's, uh, we go a lot of places. <laughs> uh, it was a really fun conversation that I know you will enjoy. So here it is. Eli. Zimmer's Whitehead. Is that right? Or is it the other way? It's around? Whitehead Zimmer's, but it's good. Oh, shoot. <laughs> All right. <laughs> it's a hard cut. <laughs> uh, Eli Whitehead Zimmer's, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much. I'm a big fan. I've, I've loved the episode so far. I listened to all of them, Ryan. Did, I did you my actually? Homework. Yeah. Some did cool you, conversations. After you found Head Babe in Charge, you then went to the Harrisburg BIC <laughs> Church podcast. I did listen to a couple of Head Babe in Charge episodes. Really feeling empowered. Don't get mixed up there, dear listener. Um, congratulations. You just graduated from Messiah College. Thank you. With a degree in? Physics. Oof. Yeah. So you're a, you're a genius. Have you? Where's your IQ? What are we talking about here? <laughs> Weight, height, and IQ, please. <laughs> I don't know. It's a lot of fun. Physics is a cool major. Yeah, it's something you super enjoy and, and yeah. have a sincere kind of love for. Yeah. Um, you live on the West Shore. Tell us a little about, give us the three-minute life summary before we dig into solving sure. uh, science. Yeah. Grew up in Marysville, Prairie County, out the valley as the natives would say. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I grew up, went to Susquehanna High School, uh, went to Messiah for a physics major, really always loved physics and science and math. Um, grew up in a United Methodist church in Marysville. Well, that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> kind of went church hopping a little bit at Messiah and then found the HBIC uh, I think one of my friends was actually playing here on the worship team the first time I came to HBIC. And so, yeah, kind of fell in love with it after coming for one service and been coming back ever since. Nice. Yeah. And you're enjoying the one-week glow of being done with Messiah? <laughs> yeah, there's been some highs and some lows, definitely, after, like, coming to a hard stop. After, like, you know, it's crazy. You're doing your physics major, and you're spending, like, super long hours in classrooms doing like really hard problems and part of it it's kind of you miss it because that's like the height of how smart you are you know what I mean <laughs> like now it's just a gradual steady decline of forgetting all of it <laughs> wow so it's that's kind of tough to live with but it's you know physics is never really about memorizing certain things or formulas you kind you're gonna forget it you're yeah. doomed to forget it but hopefully those processes for working and problem solving stick with Hold you on to something. Yeah. yeah. I've, I've gone back for different reasons and read papers that I wrote in seminary. Yeah. And I'm like, man, I can't even, <laughs> I like this morning I messed up like my breakfast order at the diner. <laughs> like I can't yeah. even communicate to the waitress, like uh, which type of jelly I want without fumbling over <laughs> my words. I can't believe I wrote this five years ago. Yeah. Um, but when you're in that headspace, it's totally 
So you're not just, I mean, you're a Renaissance man though. So it's not just science. You play the cello. Yeah. You are widely read. You like to climb. I do. Walls and yeah. rocks. Uh-huh. Yeah. Anything else that I'm missing? No, those are the main. That's it. Yeah. Basically, you play jazz fusion cello. <laughs> yeah, me and some friends from school kind of messed around with that for a while. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. Good. Yeah. Great. Um, well, I'm glad you're here. The thing we want to talk about specifically, or want to start with at least, is you have a profound interest in like how faith and science intersect or don't intersect. Yeah. Um, and you've kind of studied that a little bit in school. And I think that's something that would be interesting to people to hear about as they kind of just kind of reckon with how do those two things lock together. And and in that, I think hearing like your view of the Bible, um, yeah. which I think is a helpful and a healthy one. So yeah, uh, lay out the problem for me between faith and science and how people typically um, resolve that and then how sure. go from there. Yeah, I think... It may be helpful to start with kind of my journey with some of these questions. And I think you kind of, when you start wrestling with these, there's kind of a natural progression of like problems and then like easy solutions and then swinging too far one way and kind of like bouncing back and forth. And so it started for me in, in eighth grade. This like kind of one class that we had, it was like kind of philosophy discussion based class. And I remember the person who taught it um, was this guy named Kevin. We didn't use, like, last names. We went to this, like, kind of liberal hippie private school where we used first names to talk to our teachers. <laughs> I was wondering, you said to me about this before. It was Kevin's class yeah. was the name of it. And uh-huh. like, what in the world? Is- <laughs> right, London Dairy was a great place. That's a big part of who I am today. But anyway, I remember being in that class. And somehow or another, we got to start talking about, like, religion and theology. And... Predominantly, like, the kids at this school were, like, Jewish, Muslim, like, really diverse faith background. So it was, like, a cool place to talk about some of this stuff. And Kevin, I remember, asked this question. He was like, how do you know that God exists? And then he kind of supplied the answer, like, oh, because the Bible says it's true. How do you know the Bible is true? Because God wrote it. Well, how do you know? And I kind of, like, saw the trap. And it was the first time I had really kind of been exposed to something like that. And... Then, yeah, a bunch of other kids kind of started hopping on the bandwagon. I was like, oh, shoot, like, I need an answer for this. And so it kind of started this long journey of, like, you know, those five-minute YouTube videos where it's like... I was going to say, this is how you came to star in the feature film God's Not Dead, right? <laughs> yeah. Is that, is that you in that movie? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, you just start doing, like, research on YouTube. Or yeah. I, I remember reading the book, like, Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. That was a really good book for me. And I started to find these, like, arguments really, really helpful for responding to some of my friends who weren't Christians. And that continued into high school. And I remember, like, reading into this narrative, like, everybody thinks, like, Christianity is silly. And I hated that. I really wanted to have some sort of thing to say, like, you're not any more reasonable than Christianity is. Like, there's a good fight here. There's a good conversation to be had. And... I think that can start going to the point where it's like, I can prove to you that God exists because I have really good reasons for it. I've really done a lot of research. And I think that gets into a kind of sticky territory of, you know, what's faith for then? 
how important of a role should reason play in in science and faith. And so, especially coming into college and with science and faith, I think a lot of Christian scientists can overreact and say, like, science points to God. And you can see his creation. There's, like, beauty and order and all sorts of arguments. I think, like, the most prominent one I learned about is, like, the intelligent design, where it's, like, if you would have changed these constants, it's, like, the fine-tuning argument. If you would have changed this constant by, like, a millionth of a percent, the whole universe wouldn't exist, and the odds of the universe existing by chance are, like, ridiculously small. And so there's these, like, really great arguments from science to point to Christianity, but I think some of my recent journey has been, like, what are what is the role for those arguments, and how important should they be? Should they be the foundation of your faith? Right. And then what does that mean when next year a new paper is published that defies yeah. that foundation? Right. Science is a moving target, and it's always changing, like you said. So how much should we put on it? And also, like, how effective really are they in conversations with people who aren't Christian? So I had this really good and close friend, and I still I still talk to him. His name's Steve, and he was um, my friend in high school. And he grew up in the same United Methodist Church as me. Um, and then one thing or another in his journey and, and his life, he kind of fell away from the faith for a little bit and was asking a lot of challenging questions. And um, in high school, it's funny, we both wrote argumentative essays for this English class. And I wrote mine on, like, why Jesus, like, really died and was crucified. Like, basically a mirror image of Lee Strobel's case for Christ. And then Steve wrote his on how, like, the church was used to basically, like, control, (laughs) like, used by governments to control people, like, opium for the masses kind of deal. He's really smart. And so we would have these conversations, and we would just hash it out for, like, hours just back and forth. And I would be using every argument I learned from every YouTube video. And he was, like, really well-read and researched, too. But I remember, like, at the end of these, like, two, three-hour-long conversations, we just wouldn't have gotten anywhere. Yeah. And you just kind of end up being, like, frustrated or mad. There's a lot of your ego in it, a lot of wanting to be right. And I think what I really learned from Steve in my conversations with him is, like, a question of a worldview you can't separate it from who you are in your experience. Hmm. And like the reason in this like objective, like you can't objectively find God. Like there's no way to remove yourself from it. It's such a deeply personal question. In the sense that you can't get a telescope sophisticated and big enough to look out and say like, oh, I I found him. He was hiding behind Neptune. Or like the airtight logic like i did it i wrote down the case yeah you know irrefutable right mm-hmm. and granted there's probably people out there who maybe were reasoned into or out of believing in god but <clears throat> i think for the vast majority of people mm-hmm. there's such personal such personal reasons for what you believe and so much of your experience tied up into it so one really foundational essay for me from C.S. Lewis is called Meditations in a Tool Shed. And he talks about this beam of light coming through a window in his shed and how you can look at it and see like these dust particles like just kind of floating in it. 
or you can step into the beam of light and look through it and see outside where the light is coming from. It's a metaphor he used to talk about you're looking at an experience. So like science does this a lot. You, you look at an experience, say somebody's feeling pain, and you can get a psychologist or a neuroscientist to say, these neurons are firing, or this sort of reaction is happening, and that's why you feel this phenomena we call pain. And that's kind of looking at it. Or you can look through it, and his metaphor is actually experiencing what it is. So like the feeling of pain. And his argument is, you know, reason in looking at something shouldn't be any more valuable or persuasive than experiencing it, the actual experience of that feeling. So hmm. I think that's a really important countervoice to this sort of, you know, enlightenment, scientific reasoning, is you can't discount the actual experience of something. And that reason and that logic is totally meaningless. It doesn't have any reference point if you don't have that experience in the first place. Hmm. How would you explain vanilla to somebody who has never smelled vanilla before? You could write out the chemical compound or like right. whatever thing it is, but you're not going to. Yeah. So in talking about hmm. the, the Bible and like views for the Bible, that was really helpful for me. So, and just to put some definitions on this, so you mentioned the Enlightenment. This mm -hmm. is, you know, so we're, we're talking about we're f 400 years, question mark, downstream of, you know, the Enlightenment, kind of this shift towards the quote-unquote modern age. Science is, you know, uh, observable, objective study of things yeah. is, the, is the way to get to truth, right? Mm -hmm. So truth is whatever we can put under that microscope or truth is whatever we can prove by a certain formula right on a piece of paper uh and then the converse of that historically has been um that personal experience is not a vehicle for truth it's subjective right it's not you know that's nice that you feel that way right or it's nice that you had that experience well you can't like trust that to tell you anything true about the world or about God. Yeah. And you're saying, no, you're just arguing on its face, basically, that experience is a valuable and trustworthy vehicle for truth. Yeah. Yeah. And I think sometimes we just default in saying, like, the only thing we know that's to be true is, like, sort of empirical, or there's, like you said, there's reasons or facts, and you've observed something, and that's the only thing, that's the only type of knowledge worth having. But, you know, I think, it, for example, one illustration I was kind of learning about this past summer or um, this past semester is like take, for example, a sunset in different ways to kind of describe it or understand it. And, you know, you could have in, in my optics class, we learned that, you know, there's this thing called Raleigh scattering. And as the sun kind of starts to set, there's more atmosphere and particles that the light has to hit through. And one thing leads to another, pretty much only the red wavelength is left. So you can describe that. And you could explain that to somebody who has never seen a sunset before. But how much of that experience of a sunset would you really communicate to them? They would be like, oh, okay, red wavelength. That's cool. But if you had like a poem of like really explaining the sunset, the mood of it, how it makes you feel, that's mm -hmm. way different. And right could be more helpful in understanding or communicating what a sunset is. Right. Which of those people actually, you know, has apprehended the truth 
right. of what a sunset yes. is. Yes. Uh-huh. Right. So I think the obvious sort of segue here is when you're talking about the Bible and mm-hmm. particularly, um, you know, thinking about creation stories, what sense of truth are you expecting the Bible to have? And I think it's really important to ask that foundational question. Before you approach it, what sort of questions are you asking? And is that is the Bible meant to answer those questions? And, you know, it's something you have to do in physics a lot. Okay, here's my model or here's what I'm kind of operating under. What is it, what is this model or this theory meant to answer? Because, mm. you know, there's going to be limitations. You have to understand, you know, why it was written. And so I think when you look at different creation texts, like were they meant to answer these sort of factual empirical questions or were they meant to answer more experiential thing? How do I make sense of my experience? And so if you look at creation texts like, okay, this was written to a monotheistic monotheistic culture in a polytheistic sort of landscape. Mm-hmm. And what are the big ideas you're trying to communicate? There's one God. He created everything. Uh, he desires a relationship with you. They're like really core ideas and principles like that why should those be less valuable than the earth was created X amount of years ago? Or this is the literal process that humans were created by. Yeah. We only assume it's less valuable because we're post enlightenment people. Right. Right. And ironically, Christians that devote their lives to trying to defend a literal six day creation have accepted the terms of, you know, the atheistic enlightenment and said, like, okay, we're going to play by your rules yep. and try and prove by your rules and take the Bible and cram it into that mm-hmm. to make it answer that question. Yeah. Whereas, you know, I, I've done this um, to, to further the point you're making that I'm pretty sure I just interrupted, but let's go with it. Yeah. Um, it's really enlightening to, for lack of a better word, enlightening to um, compare Genesis 1 to, you know, I would encourage anyone to set it side by side with like the Babylonian creation myth, for example, yeah. called the Enuma Elish, E-N-U-M-A-E-L-I-S-H, um, and kind of compare. This is a contemporary of Genesis 1, like creation myth, right? right. In which uh, before the creation of our world, there were like giant warring um, gods one yeah. of them, Tiamat, I think it was. I'm probably getting this wrong. One of them gets killed uh-huh. and torn in two, and the, her two halves become the earth and the sky, right? Right. And then, like the bl- and then humans eventually are created from the blood of the gods, uh, as and to be slaves to right. the gods to serve their whims, mm. etc. Right. So you have an earth. You have a creation that's born out of chaos and violence. Mm-hmm. and strife by multiple warring factions and then you have humans that are ultimately created to serve those petty gods right yeah if you if that was what you had if that was the story being told culturally around you mm-hmm. and then you went to genesis 1 yeah your eyes are going to pop directly to wow like in the beginning god one god right. in the beginning god the only god created everything mm-hmm. with this like careful um and detailed, like, creator's touch 
not out of violence, but just right. out of like, you know, all along the way proclaiming like the goodness mm-hmm. and the wholeness and the order of this creation. And he ultimately ends with the creation of human beings as distinct from the animals made in God's image. Yeah. Not just like, and I think in the Babylonian one, it's not a purposeful creation. It's like the blood of the gods just like becomes humans and starts yeah. walking around <laughs> and then they're enslaved, but rather by a careful process you know we are created in god's image um did it literally happen in that exact order and in that exact way who knows mm-hmm. um it's not relevant right um did it happen in six 24-hour periods even though we didn't get the sun and moon till day four so we're like we're the was god counting on his watch days one through three when we didn't have like Sun up and sundown yet. Isn't that <laughs> interesting? It says, that, like, yeah. day was one through three. It says, and there's evening and morning the third day. Right. Like, the sun and moon aren't created till day four. Um, <laughs> so what was evening and morning? Right. Um, it, not to disparage Genesis 1. And not just, I don't know. I mean, the earth could be 7,000 years old, and it could have been made in six days. Right. The point is, that's not the point. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, I heard uh, on a podcast i was listening to yesterday or the day before something someone quoted einstein as saying you know if i had an hour to solve a problem um figure out a problem i would spend the first 55 minutes making sure i was asking the right question wow and then like trust that with the remaining five minutes i would so it was so important that we ask the right question as we're proceeding to solve the problem and by the same token asking the right questions of the bible Right. Letting the Bible be what it is mm-hmm. um, and not coming to it with a, you know, a question about scientific origins coming from the 17, 18, 1900s right. and forcing it to give answer to that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think it's important also that these sort of ideas aren't some sort of like new wave watering down the value of the Bible which I feel like is a lot of the sentiment that I was kind of faced with when I was like kind of getting introduced to these ideas. But there's a really, really cool um, quote from St. Augustine when he writes this thing on the literal interpretation of Genesis. I think it's something like that. But he expresses the same sentiment. And he's like, look, if you're trying to talk to other people who aren't Christians, who aren't bound by the Bible, and they know things through reason. And how are they going to believe the Bible on really important things like Jesus's resurrection and like God's love for them when they're stuck on these sort of minute things that, like you said, is, aren't the point. It's not the point of the Bible. So it's like you really got to pick your battles sometimes for people. If their whole reason that they can't come to Christianity is because they think it's silly that oh, they, you can't believe in evolution. We're like, okay, like we can get past that, but like, let's focus on these bigger experiential personal questions. I think you use the, the language of like, we have to not fight it on sort of enlightenments or scientific battleground. Like we have to bring it to where Christianity is actually valuable, making sense of human experience. And so... Yeah, we learned, I, I keep referencing this class. I took a, a capstone course for like relating science and uh, religion this past semester. And we were reading this one guy who's talking about um, kind of the rise of deism and um, a lot of lack, like a lot of people falling from faith because of science. And 
they were like, was it these like really strong scientific thinkers? And he was like, no, I think what happened was, is a lot of Christians started fighting for Christianity on really philosophical grounds. And God wasn't a loving father. He was a all powerful supernatural force, sort of like stripping him of all of everything that really makes God so powerful and amazing and loving. And the reasons that you would want to believe in him, you've just made him like this cold philosophical idea. And now that's what we're debating. And so we've, we've lost everything that was valuable and important in the first place. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you have to understand what questions to ask. And, and that's a version of, I mean, we do, we do that with Jesus about all kinds of things, right? We miss it because we expect something different. Yeah. You know, expect them to be something different. We're not apprehending Jesus as Jesus came to us. Right. God's word and God's communication to us, his truest and clearest communication of who he is. Right. Uh-huh. Um, it's like, well, we actually were, were hoping for someone that like <laughs> knew how to lead an army. So right. sorry, but right. by, by the same token, you're going to be disappointed yeah. in the Bible. If you come to it thinking it's a certain thing that it's not right. Thinking I can come to the Bible and find a detailed answer for like, Ezekiel must've said something about artificial intelligence, right? <laughs> right. Let me get in there. <laughs> right. Like it's gotta be in there, right? Like we have this sense that every that the Bible is a comprehensive mm-hmm. and utterly, um, you know, detailed account of, you know, book of answers to any question we could possibly ask it. Right. And it's not any slight on the Bible to say, like, that's not what it is and that's not how it works. It's right. not comprehensive in that sense. Right. You know, at a microcosm level, the law, for example, was not even a comprehensive law. Like, you right. didn't cover every, you know, you read Exodus, Deuteronomy, um, Leviticus, they didn't cover every potential thing that could have happened, right? Um, right. We're getting wisdom. We're getting God revealing himself above all. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, scripture is a true and trustworthy account of God's interaction with people mm-hmm. in a way that we can, like, find salvation through it, right? Right. Um, you know, 2 Timothy 3.15, like, you know, the Holy Scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And they're like a trustworthy right. account of that, right? And and of many other things, mm-hmm. um, but not every single thing. And that's okay. Yeah. You know. Galileo has this really cool quote. And I think when he was quoting it, when we were reading it in class, he stole it from somebody else. But his thing was um, the Bible tells us how to get to heaven, not how the heavens go. Mm. Which is kind of that idea or like the scriptures are about, you know, salvation or like getting right with God and your relationship with God. It wasn't written as a scientific textbook. Mm -hmm. You shouldn't approach it as one. And to that point, you know, circling all the way back to the idea of the foundations of our faith and how if you're built on, it's a type of house of cards to build your faith on scientific, historical yeah. You know, observable facts, although history is not observable, but yeah. set that aside. Um, that's a house of cards, because what right. about when the next study comes out? Or what about when, when the archaeological dig brings up something that um, disproves, seems to disprove? Right. You know, you can kind of kick the can down the road and say, well, in the end, the Bible will be proven, right? And maybe so. True. Um, but it's it's not 
the foundation of our faith is meant to be like Christ and the down payment of his spirit right. in us. Um, and so by the same token, we're setting up a house of cards for ourselves um, by making the Bible something it's not. If you're looking for the Bible to be a comprehensive book of answers to every question you could possibly ask it, if you're looking for your Bible to be a science text, mm-hmm. if you're looking for your Bible to be any number of things that it's not, eventually that will let you down right? to the detriment of your faith. Yeah. Like the Bible will let you down if you don't take it on its own terms eventually. Right. And so I'm really passionate about that not happening to yeah, people. Yeah, yeah. You know? I've heard, I've, I know of some really impassioned, sincere Christians who took this kind of view of scripture and and came up against a difficulty or a seeming discrepancy in the text. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just wrecked them. Right. And it's not necessary. You know, you read, you know, you have statements on inerrancy that say like, if even one thing is found to be like fallacious or false, then right. like we can't trust any of it. And that right. breaks my heart. Yeah. If you, if you, you know, if, because someone compares the list of king, kings in Israel in Kings and Chronicles, like those two different books and finds right. that they're, in different orders in some cases, or some people are left out or skipped or, or whatever it may be have different names. Mm-hmm. Um, therefore Jesus didn't rise from the dead and our faith is in vain. Like that yeah. breaks my heart. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So describe then to me where science is valuable and how it does or doesn't intersect with, with faith. Um, yeah what are the ways that we can kind of reconcile that the tension or? Yeah. I think an important step for me, like sort of coming back from this, like, Oh man, science actually points to Christianity and you, they have to like really be integrated so much. Um, that kind of view we learned about in class is kind of called like the integration view where science and religion really can influence each other's, kind of knowledge and so your the bible should inform what you believe about like um science and science should inform what you believe about god which as we talked about house of cards kind of moves pretty fast and so that was kind of where i was for a little bit and then starting to come back off that you can kind of overreact and go to this other place of like a separation model is what it's called where christianity and science are just two occupied totally different spheres of knowledge, should not influence each other at all. And in that way, it keeps each of them kind of safe because, you know, you can point to those historical anecdotes of science sort of suppressing, or um, religion sort of repressing science, and then science sort of watering down and making God silly. And so people are like, okay, we don't want to deal with any of that. Just keep them totally separate which I think is also a bit of uh, overreaction. So one place that I kind of landed was like, okay, I do think that the content of knowledge of like the Bible and scientific literature, they're pretty different. And, you know, the Bible isn't a scientific textbook and science doesn't have a whole lot of weight in like helping me understand my experience. But, you know, in some sense, as like a Christian scientist, I do want my faith to sort of inform not necessarily the content of knowledge of what I'm studying, but I want it to inform like my motivations 
for going into science. And it is like, as a Christian scientist, I say, wow, like, look at this beautiful creation or look at these really like awesome patterns and God's handiwork. And I want to do well. I want to work at things as though like I'm working for the Lord and not for earthly masters. And I want to have a joy and a passion for it, make it more of a vocation and a calling and really have a purpose with my career. So in that sense, I was kind of like, okay, you know, the content is different, but that doesn't mean like it can influence my like motivation for approaching science. So it was helpful for me of thinking of science and religion as kind of two different ways of describing the world. To go back to the C.S. Lewis essay of like, I'm looking at something or I'm looking along something. I'm experiencing it or I'm trying to describe that experience. And I think both are valid and both are necessary ways of looking at the world. To go back to the sunset metaphor, you know, Raleigh scattering is important. It's like cool to understand how sunset works. I think of that now every time I see it. I'm like, man, those wavelengths are getting knocked out by some of the air molecules in the atmosphere. It's cool to think about. But also that other aspect of like what a sunset really is and how it makes you feel like there are two different levels of explaining the same reality or the same experience. And that doesn't mean that one is more valid than the other, but they're different. And I think that still allows for room of saying like, okay, they're able to influence each other, like the motivations for doing it, but they're just kind of two different levels of explaining the world uh, and that's okay and that doesn't mean that one is better than the other yeah that's a good word and i hope that helps people you know kind of simmer the adversarial kind of posture those two spheres can have towards each other faith and science yeah you know they're not utterly linked and they're not totally separate yeah. they can complement each other and you i mean the thing that strikes me in that is you as a Christian scientist, as in a scientist who's Christian and not an adherence to Christian science, which is its own right. separate thing. Um, yeah. How can th there are myriad ways that you can glorify God through how you go about what you're doing? Right. You even you're, and you're glorifying God even in the just the process of independent intellectual discovery that you go on. You know, you're someone yeah. that loves to learn and loves to investigate and, and understand better how things work. Right. And you can glorify God in that, yeah. um, even in that, let alone, never mind sharing it with people, uh -huh. um, helping make the world a better place through these efforts. Yeah. Um, so let's turn the, turn the, the knob down on, on the fight between these yeah. two things and say, let's not waste our time trying to prove or disprove this or that, but just value both of these things. Right. And I love that too, that focus on sort of the journey and I think I think God would have the bumper sticker on the back of his car being like, it's all about the journey and oh, not the destination. <laughs> because, you know, like what keeps you running back to God? Mm -hmm. It's like some of these tough questions and, you yeah. know, whatever hot topic it might be. And I, I think I'll get to heaven and maybe like I'll be there and they're like, no, nah, the Bible was all about this. And another person was like, no, there was like a strict timeline in the historians. And Jesus would be like, Look, both you guys are actually pretty far off. But. <laughs> I love the effort. It's fun to listen in on all that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think about the book of Job, and we can probably wrap it up here, but um, uh, 
just the, you know, it's like 40 chapters just to arrive at God being like, well, I'm God, so. <laughs> right. And Job's like, you know what, you're right, you're right. Yeah. You're right. That's my bad. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, they kind of like navel gaze and do all this philosophical meandering. And in the end, the answer to the question was just like, well, right. I'm God. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> and that's kind of the, maybe that's a metaphor for how the Bible comes to us in a lot of ways. It's just like, yeah, that's all super interesting, but like here I am in the flesh right. and here's a record of, of my interaction with you and, and, um, you know, the promise of the spirit, um, in such a way where, you know, the book of Job is, it's, it's about the journey. The, the destination yeah. doesn't necessarily fit <laughs> it. Right. Um, uh-huh. so no, that's great, man. Thank you. I would love to have you back on the podcast sometime to talk about, um, the sediment levels in the Susquehanna river. <laughs> I would be happy to do that. So oh, yeah. yeah, it's, um, it can be a, uh, a murky topic, but, um, <laughs> Can I go now? <laughs> <laughs> no, thanks so much for having me out, Ryan. Yeah, great. yeah, yeah. Great we'll job with you.